Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Rifleman Radio Show. The Rifleman Radio Show is brought to you by the Appleseed Project, which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is an all-volunteer, nationwide, grassroots, not-for-profit organization dedicated to teaching the absolute best Fundamentals of Rifle and Marksmanship Program in the United States today. And listen, we're one of the we are the fastest growing organization uh, of its kind uh, in history. We're growing faster and and wider than uh, than any other organization of this type ever has. That's something to be proud of, uh, along with the many other accomplishments 
that uh, as an organiz- as an organization we can be proud of. <clears throat> and uh, when I tell you that the Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to teaching the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today, uh, that's the truth. That's just the way it is. There's no boasting. There's no stretching the story. That's just the way that it is. We're the absolute best at what we do. And if we were a uh, a profit for profit company, for a corporation like that, then that wouldn't be that big a thing, right? Because uh, you know you pay folks money, they'll do whatever you want. They'll jump through hoops. They'll uh, they'll do whatever you want them to do. All right. But even so, even if you were a the best for profit uh, rifle marksmanship organization, that'd be something to be proud of. All right. But we're an all volunteer organization. That means nobody's nobody here is getting paid in uh, in money. There are other intangibles, but nobody's getting money to do this. This is all volunteers. These are folks across the nation, uh, men, women, children, who decided to take uh, a huge chunk of their free time and put it to use in instructing their fellow Americans in the in the proper and safe way to handle rifles. And we're going to do this every weekend, every weekend of the year, somewhere across the nation within a uh, within a reasonable driving distance of you. It's going to be an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Weekend event. <clears throat> and I can tell you this right off the bat, that of uh, the tens of thousands of people who have gone... Now, I'm not going to tell you that every single person who's been to an event has been uh, happy with it. There have certainly been a couple of people. I've been in a couple of events where folks were even up, up to extremely unhappy with the program. But you know what? I'll tell you this, is that those folks, I could tell that those folks were extremely unhappy with their own life and everything else in it. Uh for the most part, 99.99% of the folks who attend an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event, they're very glad they went to the event. On Sunday, if they stayed all the way till Sunday, and uh, they're listening to the benediction on Sunday, they are happy that they attended that event. And you know what? When I'm doing an event, when I'm the shoot boss, and when I'm doing the benediction on Sunday, I am happy that I'm part of the program. I'm happy that I have been given an opportunity to share what I have learned with uh, with other Americans. I'm happy that I have been given an opportunity to tell the story, to spread the message, because that's what we do. That's, that's what our job is. We're going to teach you uh, an absolutely fantastic course in the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. Along with that, we're going to give you a rock-solid foundation in rifle safety and how to conduct yourself uh, in a safe fashion with your rifle. And then we're going to talk to you about the events that occurred at the very beginning of our nation, uh, April 19th, 1775. And these events occurred at Lexington, at the North Bridge and Concord, and along Battle Road back to Boston. So you're going to get 
listen, you're going to get your money's worth uh, when you attend a rifle marksmanship weekend, <clears throat> especially uh, since we're a nonprofit organization. We're not going to charge you an arm and a leg. The cost for attending an event is uh, seventy bucks. That's the that's the highest uh, that you'll pay in all the categories, unless you unless you don't pre-register and you walk on, and they they they'll tack on an additional ten bucks for that. Uh, but if you pre-register for an event, the most you'll pay is seventy bucks. And listen, that that is a bargain. Uh, I've been to. Uh, I've been to several different courses now, and seventy bucks uh, is usually about uh, between one fifth and one tenth of what most folks are going to want for uh, a day or or two days of courses. And and every time I look back on it, you know, I learned more at the Appleseed Weekend than I learned in any of the other courses. And I'll tell you this, too, that in a weekend, in an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship weekend, uh, if you're a vet, you'll probably realize, too, that you're going to learn more in these two days than you learned during your whole uh, tour in whatever, uh, unless you were a Marine. If you're a Marine, there's a good chance that that you got a good tidy bit of of marksmanship, but they probably didn't present it to you uh, in as an easily learnable uh, way as we do. And, and listen, we're not going to scream at you either. We're not going to scream at you and make you do push-ups. So <clears throat> you're going to learn more in a weekend at uh, Appleseed than uh, I learned more at a weekend in Appleseed than. I learned during my whole uh, time in the service. Even when I got into doing specialty shooting and specialty weapons, uh, at the, near the end of my my service, and I started moving into uh, into more of like the special ops area, they still don't give you a lot of rifle marksmanship. They that's it's kind of up to you, which I always thought was. Uh, I always thought it was a bit strange because here you are, you know, you're a uh, if you're a regular infantryman, you're basically your job is to stand and hold the line with your rifle. That means you're going to need to you're going to need to use that rifle for its intended purpose, and that is for shooting at uh, the enemy. And and yet, uh, at least uh, when I went through, and I know that uh, it's not a whole lot better now. At least when I went through this, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis uh, given to any type of rifle marksmanship, and I just thought that was bizarre. Uh, but you come to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Weekend, and uh, we'll give you the fundamentals that you'll need. You'll learn the skills and techniques to put you on your path to becoming a rifleman, and Remember, when we're talking about the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, we're not talking about the basics. We're not talking about baby steps. What we're talking about are the skills and techniques that you'll need no matter what uh, direction you decide to go in uh, on your shooting your shooting path. Uh, if you're going to shoot at 10 cans, then this will allow you to hit the cans every time. If you're going to go on to become a competition shooter, you're going to shoot... Uh, 
uh, bench press or high power, then this is going to give you, in one weekend, it's going to give you an introduction to all of the skills and techniques that you're going to need. Now, I'm not going to tell you that you're going to become a high power shooter after one weekend. Uh, what I'm going to tell you is that we're going to give you all the information that you need, and then we're not just going to give it to you. We're going to uh, we're going to run you through it. You're going to practice it, and uh, and if you listen, if you do as uh, you're asked to do, and you really put your uh, really put your mind and your heart into it, there there really isn't a reason that you can't shoot to rifleman standards on your first weekend. Now, I've seen folks uh, shoot to rifleman standards, and our standards at Appleseed, we're going to have you, we're going to ask you to shoot to a four-minute of arc standards. And uh, and the way that we're going to do this is we're going to have you shoot the old Army qualification test. And uh, when you do that, we'll use the Army qualification test not as uh, a competition. We use it to judge uh, as a diagnostic tool, uh, tool to judge how you are receiving uh, the instruction, how you're putting it to use. And uh, out of a possible 250 points on the test uh, total, if you can score 210 or above, then you will earn what's called a rifleman's patch. That means you're shooting... Uh, in order for you to score 210 or above, you have to be shooting uh, within a four-minute of arc standard. All right? It just works out that way. And uh, for a quick reference, four minutes of arc, that is uh, a one-inch by one-inch square at uh, 25 yards, uh, 82 feet. One-inch by one-inch square. And uh, if you're shooting to rifleman standards, then you can put 10 rounds in 60 seconds inside the one-inch square uh, from 82 feet. So, and that, uh, I think for most people, they think about that without doing it, without going out and trying it. They, they think about that, and they say, well, that's easy. That's easy. Give me the rifle. I'll do it. Ten rounds at uh, 82 feet in a one-inch square. That's only 25 yards. And when I shoot deer, they're uh, they're 400 yards away. <coughs> well, listen, it's not easy, and 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 also uh, I would like to make sure that these guys actually pace off their deer shots and make sure that that's what they're they're shooting their deer at. Because uh, I've had a lot of folks tell me, yeah, I shot that deer at. Uh, 500 yards, one shot, and then we go to where they're shooting, and uh, the clear space, where their stand is, to where the solid brush begins, is uh, is right about uh, 60, 70 yards. So I don't say anything, but that's, you know, in a lot of people's minds, they don't have any way to judge it, and they just say that's what it was, 500 yards. Well, a one-inch square at 82 feet is awfully small. When you get down to the bottom row of the AQT, you'll have the targets at the bottom row. There'll be uh, uh, four targets on the bottom row, and uh, they're the size of a thumbnail. The scoring, the uh, scoring section, is the size of a thumbnail. 
So if you can put all your rounds into the size of a thumbnail at 82 feet, that basically means that you could uh, you could shoot a horse fly at 82 feet. Then uh, then maybe you don't need apple seed. Maybe we just need you. Maybe we need you to come to an apple seed to shoot a perfect score in the AQT so that you can begin uh, instructing your fellow Americans in the proper techniques for shooting. So think about that. <clears throat> All right. Uh, any of the folks, I think we've got a lot of guests, and uh, and I think that the call screener, my co-host, is also talking to folks about this on the chat, and that is uh, uh, it only takes a second to uh, – to quickly register for an account at Blog Talk. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, there's no, uh, uh, they don't dig into you for questions or anything. It's just a real quick uh, registration. And they can give you your own uh, account there. That lets you uh, uh, chime in on the chat. And also, it helps uh, uh, if, once you get an account, if you uh, follow us or add us to your favorites, etc., uh, then that helps in our ability to promote the show. Uh, it gives us a better rating, gives us a, a leg up, and uh, allows us to promote the show better. So if any of you guys want to do that, that would be great. Let me also at this time tell you guys that uh, <clears throat> and I put this in at the beginning in the chat room, but let me tell you again, too, that uh, – uh, Remember that we, we, if you if anyone has anybody that that they would like to give a pat on the back, any of the uh, instructors or shooters or you know if you've got a instructor that just passed a PC or if somebody just got their red hat or somebody just shot the rifleman standards, uh, if somebody's doing a great job in your area in promotions or an admin, any of the Apple Corps folks, and uh, you want to call in and mention them on the air, we'd love for you to do that. We we love it when people uh, mention or they give their fellow Appleseed workers a pat on the back. We love hearing about people uh, about doing their job great. So if you want to do that, then please do. You can call in at 347-3088-790. 347-3088-790. Then if you want to... Uh, uh, if you want to talk about any of uh, your nonprofit or commercial ventures, if you want us to mention on the air, we'll be glad to. We're always willing to uh, support our uh, brother and sister apple seeders. And uh, if you want to do that, uh, you can call in at that number I just gave you, 347-308-8790, and uh, we'll be glad to put you on the air and you can give a quick plug for your commercial or nonprofit venture. Or put it into the chat room, and uh, I'll catch it, and uh, I'll put it on the air. And then one last thing is, uh, and this is um, a kind of a multi-part thing. That is, we are uh, we're always looking for new music for the show, uh, and it has to be music that doesn't have uh, uh, royalty on it so that uh, we don't get any trouble with any uh, copyright uh, stuff. If you have any music that you would like to uh, for us to look at to put on the show, then please uh, send it to me, either PM or email me or call me and uh, tell me you've got some music and we'll audition it. You can put it on the show. If you've got some poetry you want to read, 
uh, as part of an intro thing, then uh, well, we can record that and do that and get it on the show, too. We'd, we'd be glad to have that from any of our uh, uh, Appleseed folks. And then one last thing is <clears throat> that uh, any of you guys that would like to give your three-strike story on the air, uh, we'll be glad to have that, too. You can either do it... Uh, uh, sometime while we're doing a live show, or the uh, the show has the capability that if you say, look, I want to do the three strikes and I want to get it recorded, but I don't really feel like doing it on the air. I don't want to do it live. I'm not a live kind of guy, whatever. Then you can uh, call me or email me, and we'll get it set up, and we can do a uh, non-public uh, recording of it. That means it'll just be you and me on the phone, and you can do your recording of it. And... And we could even go further if you want to. If you want to go further than that and you say, look, I want to do it, but I just want to, I just want to have my guys listen to it or something like that, then I can also uh, put that file into a hidden file for the show and just give you the URL address for it, and then you can just post that for your guys. If you say, look, here's the, uh, uh, here's the three-strike story, and here's the address for it, and then it will come up on Blog Talk, and they can just uh, download it from there. And that also will work. We'll be glad to set this up. If any of you guys want to do any instructional, uh, any instructional stories, if you want to do uh, 30 minutes on call on the line or or something like that, then we'll be glad to do that too. And that can be in the show's archives, and then you can just uh, keep a record of the URL address for it. And uh, if one of your guys says, look, uh, I'm uh, I'm getting ready to do such and such and uh, on my PC or or I'm trying to figure out what the best way is to uh, to call the line or what the best way is to to uh, explain IMC. You can say, well, here, here you go to this address and there'll be a uh, like a 30-minute class on uh, IMC or uh, natural point of aim or call the line, etc. So we'll be glad to use this show for that as a uh, uh, as a file area or a holding area for three strikes or any of the uh, instructional phases, just get in contact with me and we'll we'll put it together and make that happen. <clears throat> All right, uh, let me make sure that I'm got if I'm and you guys, uh, if you'd like to call in, <clears throat> if you want to call in and listen, that's fine. You can do that. Just let the call screener know. If you want to call in with some suggestions or some comments and uh, you don't have any kind of unlimited calling program or something, let the call screener know that, too, because he'll just put the notes on there for me. I'll see that. He'll say, look, uh, this guy, he wants to talk real quick and and not run up his bill. Then I'll make sure that I'm uh, paying attention to the switchboard, and we'll get you on and off the air quick so you don't have to burn up your time. If you have, uh, if you want to to call in and you, you don't have the... Uh, you don't have the cash for the uh, long-distance call, then uh, just send me a, uh, an email or or in the chat room, I think you can send me a private message in there, and I'll give you the, uh, uh, the toll-free number for the show here, and uh, you can call in on that number. <clears throat> I just don't want to put it out there for everybody to use because... Uh, if you have uh, unlimited long distance, like most people do anyway, I'd rather use that than my my 
uh, toll-free minutes that I have to buy, I have to pay cash for. So, all right. Uh, once again, the call-in number is 347-308-8790. If you want to say thank you to a fellow Apple seed, or if you want to pat somebody on the back, give them a congratulations. If you want to plug your uh, nonprofit or commercial venture, or if you want to make any comments or suggestions. And uh, if you're in the chat, then uh, uh, the call screener, the co-host for the show, will continue to put that number in there, and I will too. All right. Uh, Another thing that I'd like to remind everybody about tonight, and that is, uh, and listen, if uh, any of the folks in the chat, if any of the folks in the chat uh, know the answer to this, then uh, it'll be great if you can chime in. If not, well, I'll try and get the answer for you uh, sometime this week, and put it into the show next week and that is when you're uh, when you are looking at setting up your shoots uh, for the year look as far into the future as you can get uh, get the folks at the uh, the venue that you're using get them to okay you as far into the future as they can you know talk to them if there's a range or something say hey, listen, when can I schedule an event for uh, 2012? And if they say, well, now's a good time, then go ahead and uh, go ahead and get it on the books. That means you can tell them the range, I want to do it on such and such date. Then, after you've got it okayed there, then you can send it in to uh, uh, the scheduling folks and get it okayed and on the books then. I'll have to find out, too. I don't know if any of you guys in uh, the chat room, if you're listening, and you know... Uh, how far the Appleseed books are open to, then uh, if you'd post that in the chat, I'd appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if we're open already until 2013 or if we're good to go just through 2012, but if somebody who is uh, listening does know, if you would uh, either call in or post that in the chat, that'd be great. Uh, and in that same vein, the uh, the time to start planning the April 19th events for 2012 is right now. That means uh, I'd like for you folks to open your books and look at your locations and find out uh, where what uh, venues will allow you to have the April 19th locations and the ones that let you put on the books, go ahead and get them on the books now. Get them on the books now. Start talking to your crew and find out and uh, getting your crews to start okaying themselves uh, and locking them in to the different events as shoot bosses and crew uh, for the 2012 events. So if you could work on those two, that would be absolutely great because uh, it would be great if we could open our books into the future and make sure that uh, that – we're not all in a rush uh, at once in January or February to get events on the books. If we could start doing that now and just have a continuously uh, a continuously moving ahead uh, scheduling session, then that it would be the absolute best way to do it. Rather than flooding the schedule, folks, with uh, 
uh, a thousand shoots to put on the books at once than just have a steady stream of uh, events that you're booking as we go. That will also allow folks, uh, non-Appleseed folks, to look into the the future and see what events that we have in the future that they can start scheduling for. A lot of folks, when they start thinking about scheduling something for a weekend, in our in our fast and hurried lives today, they need six months, seven months to schedule themselves an open weekend. Well, let's make it as easy on them as we can. Let's uh, schedule and uh, and get on the books any and all of the shoots that we can. I know that some ranges don't let you put any books on until uh, the January of that year. They don't open their books until then. But some do, and the private places do, and the DARs do, etc. So any of the places that do, uh, let's go ahead and start getting those now in the summer. Let's go ahead and start booking them now and getting them on the books and schedule. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask. I'm going to give you the number one last time real quick before I get started. So that if any of you guys are listening, if you want to call in and uh, give any of your buddies a congratulations. And listen, I'm going to say this real quick, too, that whenever I tell you guys that, uh, and I know a lot of folks are doing other things during the show, but whenever I say that, whenever I when I tell you guys, hey, if you want to give somebody else some congratulations or something for what they're doing, I, I should, uh, the call screener should be going nuts. Uh, I, I should have... Uh, I should have a 20-minute line of calls that are backing up for that. And, and here's why. is because everybody, the majority of the folks in the program, are doing an absolutely fantastic job. And and we should tell them about it. Uh, I'll, t- I'll say this. Uh, Mark Hansbacher from uh, New York up here, uh, ADOM on the forum, absolutely fantastic guy here in New York. Did an absolutely great job at this last event. He uh, ran the event, and his instruction was right on the mark. His history was excellent. Uh, His timing was great. He was very professional in uh, all of his line-calling duties, very professional in his instruction. He was very well-informed about uh, IMC, and uh, natural point of aim, etc. Did an absolutely fantastic job. And I told you guys last week, the New York crew, I've always been very impressed by them. They always do a great job. I haven't seen a bunch of the other guys uh, this year, but uh, let me say that, uh, let me start off the roll with uh, with Mark, with ADOM. So if any of the rest of you guys want to call in, <clears throat> I should be having a, uh, I should be having a flood of calls from people who want to tell their uh, instructors or any of the rest of the folks uh, what a good job they're doing, all right? Because uh, because every person I meet in Appleseed, they're the best that America has to offer. Uh, they're just the, the absolute salt of the earth folks. And, I, and none of them do it. None of us do it so that somebody will say, hey, what a great job you did. But that still doesn't mean that, it isn't nice to hear it, all right? Well, that's all I'm going to say on that, is that uh, 
when I give you guys a chance to get on the air and open mic to uh, to give other people congratulations, then uh, I should be uh, I should run out of my fifty telephone lines uh, really quick. <clears throat> All right, but the lines will be open three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero for you to call in to uh, give your buddies thanks. And uh, we'll have time in between stories if you want to do that. <clears throat> and let me ask you all again, let me ask you a question, too, about this. For the last uh, few weeks, uh, I've been doing a lot of, uh, I've been giving you a lot of historical information. And uh, and one of the reasons is because I think it's relevant to what we do. Uh, another reason is because I love it. I love reading about history. I love talking about history. But just because I love it doesn't mean you need to hear it. So uh, if it's something that you like, then we'll continue doing it. Uh, If you'd rather be doing something else, as always, the best way for you to to make yourself happy is either to post it in the radio show thread on the uh, forum or to to give me a call or a PM, all right? You can do that at, uh, let's see, my cell number is uh, 254-217-1325. Let me post it in here real quick. 254-217-1325. That's my uh, cell number. And uh, you can send me an email. You can send a PM. You can post it in the form, etc. Because the show, uh, I do the show every week. I've been doing it every week uh, for almost three years now. And the reason I do it, it's not for me. Uh, I could, I can be, it, it gives me pleasure to speak to to my fellow apple seeders. It really does. But I could get almost that same amount of pleasure by watching uh, <laughs> by watching the HBO Pacific series. Uh, so anyway, what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I'm not doing the show for me. I'm doing the show for you. So if it's what you want and what you want to hear, then great. If it's not, then the only person that you can uh, you have to blame for that is you, because I'm willing to, to do just about anything within the parameters of my Apple Seed guidelines in order to uh, to make you guys happy. Any guests? discuss whatever subjects you would like, uh, more history, less history. Uh, really, it's up to you guys. So you decide what it is you want to hear. If you, if you like hearing the history, great. Because I, I love sharing history. I love speaking about it. I love discussing it. So if I'm giving history and uh, you guys are listening and you want to chime in, then then you're welcome to call in and we'll discuss the history. So you guys let me know what it is that you would like. If you like uh, uh hearing about the history, then great. We'll keep on doing that. I'll keep mixing other guests in. If you have a certain guest that you'd like to hear on the air if you, that you'd like to have for an interview, et cetera, uh, if you ha- then we'll get those guys. We'll get them for you. And believe me, there's there's very few people that I can't get now after three years of tracking people down and uh, trying to drag them on the show. Uh, I've, I've devised my, my own personal particular ways of uh, – 
of snaring and tracking down the folks. So if there's somebody you want to see on the show or hear on the show, then uh, then let me know, and I'll do my best to get them on. If there's some subject you want discovered, by, discussed, by all means, uh, let me know, and we'll do that. But tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about <clears throat> uh, the events that occurred uh, immediately after the American Revolutionary War. I mean, the, the uh, April 19th, 1775 uh, battles at Lexington, the North Bridge, and along Battle Road. We're going to discuss the, uh, the events that occurred immediately after that, because, you know, we all have a, a pretty good idea of what went on uh, on April 19th, 1775, right? I mean, a fairly decent idea, because if you're going to be an instructor, that's one of the things that we require of you, and that is for you to have a good, solid foundation so that you can speak uh, intelligently on the events of April 1775 without notes, uh, that you can speak in an impromptu fashion, tell the story of the three strikes of the match, uh, in order for you to become a full instructor, you'll have to do that. So, uh, most of us have either told that history or listened to it or both. So we, we're getting to be pretty good of uh, on that period of history. But that was just the beginnings of it, right? <clears throat> uh, let me give you a quick rundown on the... Uh, on the history, since I'm in New York, I'll start with that. The history of the Battle of New York. Now, just in New York alone, uh, starting with uh, Champlain's battle with the Mohawks. Now, this began early on, right after colonization. Uh, that's July 30th, 1609, until the end of the uh, American Revolutionary War, uh, and that was the uh, the raid on the South Shore uh, over at German Flats, and that occurred on August fifth, seventeen eighty three. That was really right at the end of the war when when they really shouldn't have been fighting, but they still were. All right, uh, between those two timelines, there were over a hundred and ten named battles uh, in just in New York. Uh, from the beginning of the American Revolutionary War to the uh, to the raid at uh, German Flats that I just mentioned in 1783, there were 66 named battles. Uh, so I don't want folks to 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 miss the fact of how important the battles in New York were. There was a great number. Of battles fought a great deal of the American Revolutionary War battles were fought in New York, and uh, you know most of the times you think about uh, New England, about the, the uh, uh, about uh, Massachusetts and uh, uh, and the New England colonies there that that were the brunt of the battles were fought, but in actuality, uh, the greatest number of the battles were fought in New York and then in the South. I'm not saying that uh, uh, that New England played a small part, because they didn't. But uh, I'm just saying don't uh, don't forget 
how important the battles of New York were. So 66 named battles uh, in New York during the American Revolutionary War. And uh, that's that's quite uh, that's quite a large number because if you look at uh, the whole list of, of named battles, and when I say named battles, it's because these are battles that actually got a title. Now, there were a, a hundreds, if not thousands, of other uh, armed incidents uh, that occurred during the war that, that just didn't get named. Uh, they may have been listed or uh, it may have been recorded. There's plenty of history uh, of different uh, uh, shooting incidents that occurred during the American Revolutionary War that that didn't get named, but of the named battles, there's uh, approximately 183 or so uh, generally that are recorded as named battles. <clears throat> That's from the, the powder alarm uh, in 1774 all the way to, uh, let's see, what was the, it was the siege of, Cuddalore, the siege of Cuddalore uh, in June of 1783. All right, <clears throat> and uh, that uh, that is a lot of battles. And out of those, out of those 183, 66 were fought in New York. Uh, and you can look at the you can look at a timeline of the battles and uh and a location and a listing of the battles and you'll see that uh, of course in seventeen seventy five there weren't that many because the uh, the American Revolutionary War had not yet begun to spin up because uh, as we know there was the battles of Lexington and Concord uh, on April nineteenth that ended at the end of that day with the siege of Boston. And the siege of Boston uh, lasted uh, almost a year, and and during that time, uh, the colonies were trying to, they were actually trying to keep from having a bunch of battles, because uh, if, if they could keep from, the, the, the less battles they could have, the better chance there would be of having a or of a, uh, a reconciliation, right? Because uh, as long as you don't uh, break too many windows or punch too many people in the eye, etc., then maybe you can settle back down and you can uh, sort out your differences and get things back on the track to the way they were. Now, as we know, that didn't happen, and. Uh, and maybe from the very beginning, a lot of the people didn't want it to happen. And that's that's actually very evident when you go back and you read the the writings of some of the founders and writings of some of the people involved in the war. When you read uh, of Adams talking about the events of April 19th, he was actually seen to be very pleased that there was a shooting war started. <clears throat> and that could only mean that that there were ulterior motives that he had for this, and uh, but a great deal of folks were hoping that there could be a reconciliation, all right, and uh, 
The only way you can do that is by not uh, by not causing a lot of damage by keeping things kind of uh, as l- l- less bloody as possible. But that didn't happen either. All right, <clears throat> but we all know about the battles of Lexington and Concord. But there was a lot that happened right after that, and uh, and we're going to talk about that in just one second. Uh, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give Cooper a chance, since I just gave everybody uh, uh, yeah, yelled at everybody to call in. I'm not going to make him wait. Cooper, welcome to the show. Hi. I'm calling in. I'm calling in. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I got a big praise. Um, up here in the frozen north, we got to enjoy uh, an apple seed in Hinkley, Minnesota, with uh, heat, index, heat indexes well well into the hundreds, which is not our normal not not our normal modus operandi. Uh, despite those conditions, we had uh, uh, two men who shot rifleman scores. Uh, Dwight, who was actually returning for the second day of an apple seed that was interrupted by uh, Father's Day, he not only shot rifleman, every single every single AQT he shot on Sunday was a rifleman score, which I thought no was pretty good. Um, you know, and then Joel, impressive because... Oh, go ahead. Well, just in following that, uh, uh, Joel, who was a first-time uh, apple seeder, uh, shot 135 on uh, Saturday's AQT, and on Sunday each and every score climbed until uh, he was uh, he got a pretty respectable 220. I I didn't tell him he'd already scored 212 because I knew there was more in him. I am the mom from hell when it comes to being a <laughs> people. I didn't tell him he'd already done. I made him I made him show what he really could do, and he came through despite the heat. The one that impressed me the most. Is a, is a gal, a returning Cedar Kelly. She did not actually get her rifleman score, but she actually persisted to the point that she stayed on two hours after the the event had uh, mostly wind, wound down and still kept trying and trying and trying until she was literally shaking from the, the heat-induced fatigue. In my mind, she, is, she has already shown the hearts and qualities of a rifleman well above and beyond the ordinary. So I think when she does manage to get the score, it's just going to be icing on the cake. Well, that's excellent. Now, what what was her name? Uh, Kelly. Okay. Is she she on the forum, or was she, is this her, you said it was not her first apple seed. No, it's not her first apple. I I didn't ask about, um, she, she came on Sunday. It was one of those cases where she, she actually had, registered on Eventbrite, but after I had already left driving north. So she was a surprise to me, and I, I didn't even think to ask about a, a a forum name. I'll bet she's got one out there. Well, if I just want to make sure that, that if there is, that we that everybody, you know, gives her another pat on the back and encourages her, as we should be doing to all of our Apathy brothers and sisters, always encouraging them. But that sounds fantastic. How many people showed up at the event? Uh, we actually had eight. Which is, you know, not not what we the huge number we'd like to that's, see, but that certainly beats beats the three I was shoot bossing well, in the snow back for in March. A, that's good for a summer hot apple seed, and it, uh, 
the number of riflemen that you turned out of that was a high percentage. You're looking at uh, 25 uh, out of eight. That would be over 30 percent of uh, the attendees shot to rifleman standards. That's an excellent uh, average. And then uh, there were two nice surprises. I had uh, a red hat. Uh, Sparks 1 showed up unannounced to help out on Sunday, along with an IIT-3-3. I don't, I don't understand how we got that forum name, but 3, who's an IIT-3, showed up for Sunday to help out, too. So we had plenty of help. It was great. Uh, nobody uh, had any heat-induced injuries, and overall, it was a great shoot. So you guys are at above 100. And how often does that happen in Minnesota? Oh, once a year, twice a year, maybe. Some years, not at all. Okay, because when you said that, I thought you were joking at first because, uh, you know, I just I don't vision Minnesota as as one of the hot places, and it's probably because I that's where uh, I spent uh, over almost four weeks at uh, uh, Winter Warfare School. And uh, you know it got down to seventy below there. So uh, my my memories of uh, Minnesota are all cold ones, not uh, one hundred degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we're used to here. Not this, not this. You know the 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 temperature temperature was only in the mid nineties. <clears throat> it was the heat the heat index was mid was like one hundred and seven because we had an eighty percent humidity. Right. Well, it sounds like you had a really great event there. And uh, how many are you guys running during the year in Minnesota statewide? Oh, Do you know? Or just a close, I, just I, an approximation? 25. This is my oh, that's off good. the top of my head. Because there's, there's, there's one a month in Hinkley, and then I would say we lost a couple ranges. We added a couple ranges, and I guess there's at least – you know, one per year at each of the other. So it should be at least 25. Well, that's, a, a, that's a pretty good number. Yeah. I mean, I live, if you I think about right it. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. I was just going to oh, say, if you I, think about it, then uh, if everybody if everybody ran 25 events, just a minimum of 25, well, we'd be making easily. We'd be making a, a thousand events very easily, you know. So that's true. Uh, you know, that's a that's a, a good number for your state. How many instructors do you guys have? You don't have to be exact; just a, a ballpark figure. Uh, I think we've got f- uh, four shoot bo- what one SI four shoot bosses, probably. Um, Eight instructors, and I haven't kept track of the IIT. Okay, so that's a, and that's a pretty decent number too. How about how are you doing on uh, recruiting? Do you ha- guys have any uh, data on that? Uh, out of uh, out of a hundred attendees, or you know, uh, how many instructors can you pull out? Wow, I, I mean, are you I getting making something up? Okay, I would say I, I would I would say I would say we get an inst- at least the shoots that I've been uh, either instructing or, or shoot bossing. There's probably been an, an orange hat every third every third event. Um, I'm not I, I don't have all 
I'm not the best person to ask for the Minnesota numbers because I actually live I live at the border of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So I I pretty much run shoots in three states. And to keep track who's who and where, I'm not quite the territorial as a lot of folks are. For me, it's just Appleseed. Right, right. Well, I just wish that uh, one of the things that we need to do as a as an organization is make sure that <clears throat> that we are that we have that uh, on the top of our uh, on the top of our minds when we're doing events and stuff like that is looking at the folks that are attending and identifying them as potential instructors and then really encouraging them to become instructors because uh, as we grow, we'll have to have more and more instructors in order to handle the events uh, because the way it usually works is you'll have an area that starts up and you'll have folks that are really dedicated to the program, as we all are, and they'll do uh, 10, 15 shoots in a year that that first year that they're you know starting to run and that, and that's good we should all we should all try and do something like that you know those of us that can but then you can't they can't keep that up year after year so you we've got to be constantly trying to identify uh potential instructors and then doing our best to try and get them to uh, to take uh to make the commitment and become uh instructors with the program so I'm just hoping that everybody is keeping that in their minds when they're doing events is to, uh, right when you start out, you know, you're asking them, what are you hoping to get out of the event today and listening to their answers and then watching them on the line, how folks, how the folks are shooting, how they're carrying themselves, how they're handling the uh, the heat, if they're uh, whining or throwing a fits or if they're just sort of shrugging it off and doing their best. And then maybe some of the folks are maybe they're helping out the person to the left or right of them, or they're doing a great job of uh, of maintaining their safety and maintaining the safety of those to the left and right of them, and listening during the instruction and, and you know and once you see something like that, then you want to make sure that that you're identifying them as potential instructors and that you speak to them about it. You know uh, what I do is I say hey. Listen, you're doing a great job. You're 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 doing exactly the kind of stuff that that we look for in instructors. You you have you thought about becoming an instructor? And uh, and then I'll mention it to them several more times during the day, and uh, and kind of keep talking to them about it. And then there are those folks that at the end of the event, and I'm sure that you've uh, I'm sure you've probably seen this, Cooper. Is when the event's over on. Saturday or Sunday, and especially on Sunday, after you've had them there all weekend, and they're at after the benediction, after the event's over, they're still hanging out, and they still yep. want to talk to you. Those are the people that that you got to you you got to put your hooks in and say, listen, we oh, yeah. need you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I I keep uh, I keep an Excel spreadsheet of you know of all of all my students and who's been you know who who I've handed a patch to and. And uh, you know where where are they showing up next? And I send them PMs and try to get their email address. And my my worry is always that they'll you know, they'll get a patch and disappear. Right. And, and you know, there, you have to understand that that's going to be a good number of folks because 
that is the thinking for a good number of folks. They think of it as uh, as a conquest, you know, as they've set a goal for themselves to improve their shooting, to get a rifle patch, they do it, bam, move on to the next thing. And and some of them you're not going to be able to reach because they've done what they set out to do, and that's it. They don't... They don't have any desire to do anything else, and and that's just something we'll have to to deal with. But there are other folks that you can kind of tip the scale uh, in the favor of the apple seed. I've had two guys who told me right from the beginning, uh-uh, no, uh, there's no way I'm going to be an instructor, and uh, they were really they were really really good at it. And I kept on and I kept on bugging them until. They relented, and they became instructors, and they're some of the best instructors that I have today. Now, I'm not going to tell you that they're always happy about it, because I'm sure they 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 wish they would have taken the the, the blue pill, you know, but uh, <laughs> but they but they're really good, and and I'd be really in a bad place if I didn't have them. So please make sure that uh, that you guys out there aren't that you're not passing up any chances to clone yourself, because the goal, uh, my goal as an apple seed instructor, is to make it back to the couch. That means uh, that i got to get somebody else to take over what I'm doing. you got to get somebody else to take over what uh, what you're doing, Cooper. Yeah. You have to find a, uh, how about this, you have to find a mini Cooper so that uh, you can get them to take over for you, so you can get back to the couch. Uh, you know, that's what we're trying to do is make it back to the couch. But until we get somebody to take over for us and to do the job, then we're we're going to be stuck doing it. So make sure that uh, on the top of everybody's priority is finding uh, and identifying instructors during your shoot and then uh, and talking to them about it, edging them towards becoming an instructor, and mentor them. If you need to mentor them, mentor them. Uh, while they're making their decisions on it, and then hopefully bring them in, suck them into the program, and uh, and get them to take over some of the load for you. And uh, I guess I've just about beat that horse into the dirt. But I, I, but it's something that you, that folks need to hear because we we've got to make sure that we're doing it. Yeah, every, every event for me in the back of my mind is I'm here to train my replacement. And I'm not. I'm. It's not because I want to get on the couch. It's because I want to get back on the shooting mat. It's like, right. hey, well, I want to be say, again. <laughs> right. Well, that's just my my uh, uh, you know my uh, the, the couch is just the uh, uh, the euphemism for whatever whatever it is you want to do, you know. But so that you can get somebody else to take over and take the load. We should be constantly trying to hand this off to the next generation and to the exactly. next person who's willing to do the 15 to 20 events, uh, you know, their first year, and make sure that they are, in their mind, they know your first job is to find your replacement. Uh, you know, I had a, I've got an instructor that uh, I wish I had 100 more of him. You know, he did almost uh, 21, I think, events in, I don't know if it was six or seven months. But uh, if you had, if you can keep looking for those folks, if you can keep finding them, then your job is going to be so much easier. And uh, and the only way to do that is to make sure that you're that you're watching like a hawk and identifying them 
as early as possible at the events, and then beginning to ask them about that, asking them about that, getting it in their mind. And I've told you this before, that uh, that I even invite those people that I've identified early, I invite them to the instructor dinners because uh, I want them to feel included as soon as possible because... uh, because the more you include somebody, the more of a uh, the more of a dog they have in the hunt. You know, yeah. The more they feel yeah. included, the, the more that yeah. they'll begin to think that this is something that they can do, that they can be a part of. Yeah. Well, I don't want to hold up the history much more because I actually have three direct descendants who were Albany, New York militia in the Revolutionary War. Uh, relatives who lived in German flats. I have relatives that were. Saved by, uh, uh, by 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 marksmanship at Stone Fort. I want the rest of the history. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop. Okay, well, let me ask you real quick. Did you uh, uh, did you did we talk about this once before about uh, about you becoming or are you a daughter of the American Revolution or have you talked thought about submitting the paperwork for it? I've thought about it. I'm kind of looking at it. I'm not. And I certainly wouldn't be a social member. I'm sort of a bumpkin for that, but but yeah, it's, uh, it looks pretty clear that uh, that I qualify three times over. Well, the the reason that I'm asked is because uh, that's just a foot in the door. Uh, number one, you get the recognition uh, of being a daughter of the American Revolution. It's just a nice thing to have. My my wife uh, is in the middle of that now, but also it's just a foot in the door so that every time you're Talking to whoever it is that's helping you with the paperwork, et cetera, that you're sucking them in to Appleseed too. That you're, you know, it gives you a chance to talk to the DAR women and say, listen, you know, uh, how about if I come and speak at your, at the meeting, at your next meeting, or how about uh, some of you guys come to an Appleseed and see what we do? So it's just a, it's just a way also for you to get recognition at the same time to get your foot in the door with their organization because I'll. Remind everybody again that every time you make an alliance, uh, you can use that alliance as a force multiplier. That means if you work with some range, and that range is really good about promoting the event, then you've taken a big load off of yourself. If you can work with some organization like uh, like the Diva Women Outdoors Worldwide organization, then uh, when you set up a shoot and you hand over promotions to them, now they're going to take it over. The same with uh, the Daughters of the American Revolution, Sons of the American Revolution. Anytime you can make an alliance with an organization like that and you can get them to carry some of the load for promotions, then you've done, you've helped yourself out tremendously. So remember to try and do that. Make your alliances and, and, uh, and get them to do some of the work for you. All right, well, Cooper, God bless you. And, uh, and don't be a stranger. Be sure and call in uh, whenever you have some more folks that you want to pat on the back. And do. All right. And yeah, uh, thanks for all you do. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, like I said, call any time you feel like it. All righty. All right. Thank work. you. <laughs> you too. Bye bye. Uh, I see from the chat that uh, the folks. Are already in Alaska, and uh, let's see who is that. Tech, 
Techris. And two sixty four Winchester. Uh you guys uh if you one of you want to call in and give us the uh the rundown, then we would be glad to to, to get you on the air. So uh and if not I'll just remind people that uh that we have the Alaska shoot coming up and uh, uh we have the uh they have the. I'm just, I'm just trying to look at it here. Have the uh, the main body, the regular part of the shoot, is already sold out. And um, I don't know if they've done anything to uh, to get any extra line or anything like that. But the last I had looked at it, they had a full line of uh, 61 shooters for the uh, for the civilian part of the shoot, and they had the two-day military part of the shoot. Uh I don't know that I saw any kind of registration numbers for that. But uh what can you if you guys want to call in uh two sixty four Winchester or Tecris, we'll be glad to have you on the air. The number is three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. You can tell us uh uh how the setup and stuff is going because uh the shoot is actually not this weekend, but weekend after, right? So you guys are, must be up there ahead of time. Uh, all right. Well, if you guys call in, uh, the uh, screener will let me know, and uh, I'll, I'll get you on the air. Uh, until then, we'll go ahead and uh, continue on with the the history. All right, uh, we got in the in the 183 uh, named battles of the American Revolutionary War, we have the beginning on April 19, 1775, with the battles of Lexington, uh, the battles of uh, Concord, and then Battle Road back, and then that beginning the siege of Boston. And uh, we know that the Siege of Boston was pretty much uh, uneventful. The Redcoats, the British regulars, had locked down the uh, the Boston area. And pretty much it was, the at the time, the island of Boston. You could only get there by going across Boston Neck. And they had that shut down. And then and barricaded and forded up. The colonists had done the same thing. They'd set up a ring of uh, barricades and uh, uh, gun positions, etc., to cover any of the uh, any of the ways of egress from the uh, from the town of Boston uh, back to the mainland. So they was it was shut down, and nobody really did anything. They sat behind their guns and looked at one another uh and uh, there were some there were some uh, uh some raids and stuff and we'll get to that in just a second we'll get to to some of the stuff that went on kind of around there but but basically during the siege of Boston there wasn't that much that went on <clears throat> but well what let's talk about right now is kind of like a synchronicity is the gunpowder incident uh that happened on April 20th 
1775. Now, this happened. Uh, this happened on April 20th, 1775, one day after the battles of Lexington and Concord, and uh, and of course, there's no way that uh, that these folks knew what was happening uh, in Lexington and Concord. Uh, so it was just happening at the same time. And uh, what happened was that early in the American Revolutionary War, uh, this conflict, which was basically a conflict between Lord Dunmore, who was the royal governor of the colony of Virginia, and the local militias led by Patrick Henry. And on April 20th, 1775, this was one day after the Battle of Lexington and Concord, and like I said, it was well before news of the event ever reached Virginia, so they didn't know this was happening. Lord Dunmore had ordered the removal of the gunpowder uh, from the magazine, the storage area in Williamsburg, Virginia, and he wanted it to be taken out to uh, uh, one of the Royal Navy ships that were at, uh, at Anchor Out in the Harbor. Now, this action, of course, sparked a lot of unrest locally. Now, you've heard uh, of the the powder alarms in New England, and you remember what happened with them. And I'm telling you that <clears throat> if you look at it, you'll see that the powder alarms were it was actually for the British regulars. It was a terrible thing because it taught the colonists, how to react to, uh, like, an, an armed conflict without them having to fight. It taught them how to set up uh, the ready reaction forces, how to get them moving, uh, and taught them uh, what it would take to get a number of men from point A to point B, how long it would take. Uh, it caused them to set up uh, communications lines, the uh, the system that would eventually be used uh, on the night of April 18, 1775, where Paul Revere and the other writers, uh, to get the information out, it was teaching them how to do all of this. So the powder raids were actually a, a, a very horrible thing as far as they accomplished nothing other than angering the population and teaching them how to react uh, to any kind of an armed uh, uh, incursion. All right? Now, in Virginia, Lord Dunmore, who was the royal governor there, he had the same idea. He said, here's what we'll do. We'll just go and get the gunpowder uh, from these guys, and that will uh, keep them from being able to do any kind of, uh, have any kind of military response against us. And Dunmore was, of course, he was the royal governor, the direct representative uh, in the colony of Virginia uh, for England. <clears throat> All right, so uh, what had happened is that early on, uh, the tensions had begun to rise all across the colonies in North America. And in, in 1774, when the uh, British Parliament had instigated their legislative acts, which we know of as, and which were named, by the colonists, the Intolerable Acts, uh, and those Intolerable Acts began to be implemented in the colonies. 
Now, the colonies, in solidarity with the province of Massachusetts Bay, which had been singled out for punishment uh, because of the Boston Tea Party, they had organized a Congress to meet, and they met in September of 1774. Now, during the meeting of the First Continental Congress, word had arrived of a militia uprising in Massachusetts, and that is what we now know as the powder alarm. Then in early September, uh, General Gage, who was the royal governor of Massachusetts, that's when he went out uh, to uh, the powder magazine in Charleston, and uh, as we know, the militia from all over New England had uh, jumped up, grabbed their gear, grabbed their muskets, and they had uh, flocked to the area in huge numbers because they were responding to uh, what later turned out to be false rumors of violence, uh, that there had been people shot and murdered and, uh, and that there was an armed conflict going on. Now, there hadn't been, but because of this, that was the first big uh, uh, the first big alarm that had spread across it. The uh, the colonies. All right, and as I said, one consequence of the action was that the Congress then called for the colonies to organize militia companies for their defense. Now they had always done this for the last uh, two hundred years. They'd done this, but during the last uh, ten years or so, they had not been actively doing it. Right, because the the French and Indian Wars had ended uh, right around fifty five, seventeen fifty five. And uh, and not long after that, the colonies had begun to relax uh, their their training and the implementation of militias. But this, the powder alarm, started that back up. <clears throat> All right. Uh, another uh, consequence of this was that Lord Dartmouth, who was the Secretary of State for the colonies, he advised the colonial governors to secure the military supplies and prohibited importation of further supplies of powder. So what Dartmouth had done is when he he spoke to the colonies, he told them, look, what we need you to do is we need you to secure all the military supplies, get all the cannons rounded up, uh, any of the uh, arms and ammunition that that could be called the property of the king, which would include the uh, gunpowder stores. Let's get those rounded up and get them under the control of uh, the uh, the colonial, I mean the uh, the British government, of the representatives of the British government. <clears throat> and on top of that, do not allow any more arms or gunpowder to be imported into the colonies. So we couldn't, they couldn't ship any more in. So you had the confiscation of the existing supplies, and then the prohibition against any more uh, importing of those supplies from anywhere. All right. And then in 1775, in the beginning of 1775, uh, that was 1774 when that happened. In the beginning of 1775, the colonies, the uh, Virginians in the Virginia colonies began to organize their militia companies, and then they began to seek out military supplies, uh, the uh, muskets, ammunition, gunpowder, etc., to arm and equip them. All right. Now, Lord Dunmore, who was Virginia's royal governor, he saw he saw the rising unrest 
that was happening there in the Virginia colonies, just like as it was uh, all across the colonies. He saw the unrest beginning, and he decided to follow Lord Dartmouth's uh, instructions and to do everything he could to deprive the Virginia militias of any of their uh, supplies of warfare. Now, it wasn't until after Patrick Henry's speech. You guys remember the speech, Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech. And I'm actually going to... I'm actually going to read that to you in a minute, and uh, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it wasn't until after that. He gave that speech in March. That was on March 23rd at the Second Virginia Convention. Uh, once that speech had been given, then Dunmore raised the stakes again. He said, you know, he, he thought it would be prudent to remove the gunpowder, which was there in that location, uh, and get it away from the Virginia colonists and secure it. Now, although the British troops had been withdrawn from Virginia in the wake of the powder alarm, the original powder alarm, there were still several Royal Navy ships uh, off the coast of Virginia in the waters of Chesapeake Bay. On April 19th, okay, I remember I was telling you about synchronicity. On April 19th, uh, one day after General Gage's order, Lord Dunmore quietly brought in a company of British sailors into the uh, into Williamsburg, quartered them in the governor's mansion, and then Dunmore ordered Captain Henry Collins, who was the commander of uh, the HMS uh, Magdalene, to remove the gunpowder from the magazine in Williamsburg, and they, they took it above the ship. Uh, and this was on the night of April 20th. The Royal Marines went to the Williamsburg powder magazine, they took 15 half barrels of powder, put it in the governor's wagon, and transported it to the eastern end of the uh, uh, quarterpath road where they could get it aboard boats and then uh, row it out to the Magdalene, which was anchored in the James River. Now, as, uh, as with every case, with every single powder alarm, the act was discovered by the town folks while they, were, while, while they were underway, while they were doing it. And they sounded an alarm. The local militia rallied to the scene, and then riders, just as in uh, Boston, riders spread word of the incident across the Virginia colony. Now, Dunmore had uh, he'd armed his servants with muskets because it, was, uh, it wasn't actually, it wasn't actually the, royal, the Marines were taking care of the powder. But his servants, Lord Dunmore's servants, uh, were armed with muskets to protect him. And it was only the calming words of the actual patriot leaders, including the Speaker of the House of Burgess, uh, Peyton Randolph, that prevented the assembling crowd from storming Dunmore's mansion when they heard about this. They heard about the Marines taking the half-barrels and putting them aboard the Magdalene that was anchored in the James River, and then dashed over to Dunmore's mansion and and were demonstrating. Dunmore gave all his servants muskets and uh, to prevent bloodshed. Because, like I said, the the folks in Virginia, the colonists in Virginia, did not yet know uh, about the events of uh, April 19th. 
Uh, now, if they would have known, it may have gotten more serious. But they didn't at this time. They didn't know about that. They, they were actually already in a state of war. It was going to be quite a while. Quite a. I don't remember the exact time, but I know that uh, for the writers, for the they were carrying the message of April nineteenth. The information on it. it was going to take them a while to reach Virginia. <clears throat> I think it was almost. Uh, I think it was almost a week before. Before it had gotten. Uh, Let's see. Before it even gotten one state away uh, from Massachusetts, so these folks didn't know about it, and they had the the uh, the local patriot leaders saying, "Look, relax, relax, take it easy. Let's let don't get out of hand with this." <clears throat> and uh, they calmed the folks down. <clears throat> All right, the city council. There, the colonies demanded the return of the powder, claiming that the, that the powder was the property of the colony and not the crown's powder. Lord Dun, Dunmore, uh, he was kind to trying to kind of blur the lines, and he said he was just moving the powder as a protection against it being seized during a. Uh, a possible slave uprising, and that he he'd, he'd return it eventually, and this seemed to satisfy the crowd who dispersed semi peacefully. Now, the unrest continued in Williamsburg, and it spread throughout the countryside because this is uh, this isn't a good thing for the government to do. They'd gone out and they'd seized the munitions. Uh, from the people, and what this does, it kind of, it kind of states flat out that hey, we think that there might be some kind of a shooting war, so we're going to come take this. Now, now that idea is in the head of the local people who say, well, maybe, maybe there will be a shooting war now. Maybe there will be because of the way that you're acting, because of what you're doing to us. Maybe there will be a shooting war. So that's how they're starting to think. And one side keeps pushing the other side. The other side pushes back. Then that side pushes back, and you have escalation. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> After there was a, a another group of folks who had come to the, to the governor's mansion uh, to protest, they were again convinced to peacefully disperse by the patriot leaders. Now, Dunmore at this time, now, now he's getting mad. And on April 22nd, he published a proclamation saying that uh, if he was attacked, he would declare freedom to the slaves, and he would reduce the city of Williamsburg to ashes. And uh, he also told a Williamsburg alderman, and this got out to the public too, that he had once fought for the Virginians, but by God, I would let them see that I could fight against them, which is... uh, it's never helpful. It's never helpful to make threats in this kind of way because, as I said, you have one side that says something. Now the other side has to respond. All right, then on April 29th, <clears throat> the militia began mobilizing the countryside. They learned by this time. All right, now we see the, the timeline of it. Ten days later, by ten days later, the militia had learned of the battles at Lexington and Concord. Uh, Nearly 700 men had mustered at Fredericksburg, and they decided to send a messenger to Williamsburg to assess the situation before marching on the capital. Uh, 
Now, Peyton Randolph, I told you earlier, he was one of the uh, uh, the local Patriot leaders. He's also the Speaker of the House of uh, Burgesses. Uh, he convinced the crowd, or, or he advised them, he didn't convince them, uh, he, he advised them not uh, to do anything violent. And George Washington, uh, he was a longtime leader of the Virginia militia. He also concurred with him, because remember, by the, at this time, Washington had not yet been invited to be the commander-in-chief uh, for the forces. He was still at his home there, but he was also a commander, a, uh, a leader of the Virginia militia. Okay, in response to the advice from uh, uh, Peyton Randolph in Washington, the militia, they, they took a vote on this, on what they should or shouldn't do, and there was a very narrow margin. They voted not to march on the mansion again. But this was just the Fredericksburg militia, okay? There was militia from all over the state, from all over the colony at that time. There was no state at the time. It was just a colony. But militia from all over the colony had begun marching to Williamsburg. The the Hanover County militia, which was led by Patrick and Henry, they voted on March 2nd to march on Williamsburg. Henry dispatched a small company to the home of Richard Corbin, who was in the he was a deputy collector of the Royal Revenues of Virginia uh, in a bid to force him to pay for the powder from the crown revenue in his possession. All right? So they were saying, look, this belonged to us, not you. You have the money that belongs to the crown. We want the crown to pay for the powder that you took. And that would have that would have been the best solution at the time, But uh, but we know, too, that uh, there was no backing down uh, from the crown. The crown wasn't going to back down on anything. So <clears throat> the remainder of the Hanover County militia, which is about 150 uh, members, they marched toward Williamsburg, and they arriving about uh, 25, 25 miles away on May the 3rd. On that day, Dunmore sent his family, all of his family, uh, to Portobello. He got them all out of... Williamsburg uh, to Portobello, and that's where he kept a hunting lodge in the York River. And from there, they eventually ended up uh, on HMS Fowling, and uh, which was at anchor in the York River. Now Corbin, when the militia got there, Corbin wasn't at home. He was in Williamsburg meeting with Dunmore. Henry was advised by Carter Bracton, that was Corbin's son-in-law, and he was also a Patriot member of the House of Burgess. He was advised not to enter the city. And while they were waiting, Braxton rode into the city, and he negotiated a payment. So the next day, on March 4th, Henry received a bill of exchange for 330 pounds, but here's the problem. It was signed by one of the wealthy plantation owners as patient as payment for the powder. So he had refused the offer of payment from the crown accounts, Uh Henry then departed to take his place as a member of Virginia's delegation to the Second Continental Congress, uh, promising to deliver the money to the Virginia delegates at the General Congress. On May 6th, this was two days later, Dunmore issued a proclamation charging Henry with extortion for the 330 pounds they demanded for the powder and forbidding any of the citizens of the colony to assist Henry in any way. Henry, Henry 
And there was also a, uh, like an arrest warrant was issued for him. Henry was offered protection by several counties, and he was escorted by several companies of militia to the Maryland border as he made his way to, to Philadelphia. All right. So he was going on to to meet with the Second Continental Congress as the, the delegate from the Virginia colonies. All right. So what did this? What did all this mean? Well, <clears throat> the incident was not great for Henry's, Henry's reputation because because now there was the charge that he had taken the 330 pounds and he had extorted it and that he had taken the money for himself. And Dunmore, of course, it was it was horrible for him. Now, his family did come back briefly to Williamsburg uh, as a sign of good faith to the colonies, and you know him saying, "Look, I brought my families back. Let's uh, let's get everything back to normal." But the relations between the royal governor governor and the House of Burgesses continued uh, to deteriorate, and uh, on June eighth. Dunmore and his family fled the governor's mansion in the middle of the night and took residence aboard HMS Fowey. Uh, the Burgesses had been deliberating the conciliatory resolution, which was a, a proposal by the North Ministry to divide the colonies. But in the wake of Dunmore's flight, the Burgesses rejected the proposal, All right, which meant that you had the royal governor and then you had the House of Burgesses. And that was – that's uh, – like the president and the Congress, and and then Dunmore fled, and when he did, that kind of shot down the conciliatory resolution, which the North Ministry had sent to the colonies, and uh, they rejected it. All right, Dunmore continued to make attempts to regain control of the colony, but after a decisive defeat of the British forces at Great Bridge in December. He was reduced to raiding operations and eventually uh, abandoned the colony for good in 1776, in August of 76. Virginia's government was first taken over by a committee of safety. Uh, most of the colonies had committees of safety that they, had set it up, that they had set up. So whenever the government collapsed, the first government was taken over by the committee of safety. And this was uh, – the members were chosen by the third – Virginia Convention in July 1775, and Patrick Henry went on to become the independent state's first governor in July of 1776. All right. <clears throat> the reason I bring this up is because uh, if you look at it, you can you can draw the the same parallels to to the events uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, one day prior to this. Now, the only reason it didn't uh, that it didn't erupt into worse, into open warfare, was was mainly due to the cool-headedness, to the advice of the leaders of the colony, of the Virginia colony, of Henry and the rest of the folks who were saying, "All right, let's try and figure this out without open warfare," because it could have just as easily become uh, a really true parallel uh, of Massachusetts but uh, as you can see the exact same thing happened in the Virginia colony as happened 
in the the, uh, uh, Massachusetts colonies. Gage there decided to get the powder. When he did, it caused a great powder alarm. It caused the uh, colonists to begin arming themselves, setting up militia. Well, the same thing happened in the Virginia colonies, the exact same thing. And it came to a head the day after the situation had gone to a uh, gone to a force of arms in Massachusetts. <clears throat> so uh, I think that the the parallels are, are very stunning, and uh, and it deserves a uh, it, it deserves for you guys to take a. Uh, a closer look at. All right. <clears throat> now, uh, let me make sure that uh, we don't have any more. We don't have any cor- any more callers. Yeah, let me make sure we don't. No, I want I want there to be more callers. So let me say again, and uh, I see that uh, the co-host is uh, doing his job and getting folks to call in three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine. Zero, and listen. Jump in, chime in. If you've got uh, uh, some first-hand knowledge of the events that I just spoke about, then call in and uh, let's fill in the listeners about it. If you have anybody else that uh, anybody else that wants to call in and give somebody else a pat on the back, uh, then we'd love to have that too. I see that we have a, uh, a spammer in the chat. Uh, we have. Fun sailor, the spammer. All right. Uh, Stacy, if you want to call in, uh, we'd love to have you too. So anybody who wants to call in, we'll be glad to uh, to take your calls in between uh, the history and stuff. So please do so. If you have somebody you want to say thanks to, listen, don't pass up an opportunity to uh, to pat one of your Appleseed brothers or sisters on the back uh, or uh, toot your own horn if need be. Talk about what a great job you've been doing. I'll, I'll go for that. Uh, and if you want to uh, to comment or make que- or ask questions on the, what we just spoke about, we'll be glad to have that too. All right. Now uh, uh, we're going to talk about the events of Ticonderoga. All right. Uh, this happened uh, right around uh, May 10th. All right, so we got April 19th. We have the events of Lexington, Concord, Battle Road, and then the siege of Boston begins. Right, so this is this has the colonies just now spinning up to try and figure out what they're supposed to do. Now I told you that the whole idea in the beginning was this was intended to be a protest that was going to be followed by conciliatory, hopefully, by conciliatory gestures uh, on on both sides. That they were hoping that the the government in England, Lord North's ministry and King George, would understand their situation, would offer some conciliatory measures, and at the same time, the colonists, I believe, were more than willing to... uh, to offer conciliatory resolutions to the problems, uh, but there didn't appear to be any give on the side of England and the king. And at the same time, 
the first Continental Congress had they had already met, they were already spinning up, and they had authorized only defensive actions. They 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 didn't want any offensive actions because, as I said, we're still hoping uh, for reconciliation. And reconciliation is only going to work if you can put out the existing fires. If you keep running around starting more and more fires, uh, uh, then it's going to be hard to, to make that work. <clears throat> uh, all right. So... Uh, certainly Lexington and Concord, and even the siege of Boston, would be would would fall into this category. But it's not clear that after Lexington, the Americans cared much to make distinctions. All right. Uh, in any event, less than a month had passed before they they did take the offensive, and this was not under the orders of the Continental Congress. These were uh, individual units. In uh, across the colonies, individual units making decisions to to take offensive operations. Uh, let's see. Uh, at this time, right after uh, right after the events on April nineteenth, uh, it had occurred. To well, to several of the officers in the area, Benedict Arnold was was one of them. That there were cannon to be had for the taking at Fort Ticonderoga on Lake Champlain. The Massachusetts Committee of Safety directed Arnold to raise a small force in western Massachusetts and capture Ticonderoga. Now you hear what I said. The Massachusetts Committee of Safety did this. It wasn't the Continental Congress. Continental Congress was telling everybody to slow down, slow down. Don't do anything except defend your town and your homes, all right? However, the Massachusetts Committee of Safety directed Arnold to go ahead and go for it. Now, at the same time, this same idea had occurred to several members of the Connecticut Committee of Safety. And this was, uh, let's see, Colonel Samuel Parsons, Silas Dean, and, and several of the, of the other guys as of the uh, Connecticut groups and militia. Acting on their own, they authorized various soldiers, among them Ethan Allen of Vermont, which was then called the the New Hampshire Grant, uh, and Captain Edward Mott to raise a force, preferably in Massachusetts and Vermont, and move on Ticonderoga. Then early in May, the expeditions, all of these expeditions, converged on Lake Champlain. Allen and the Connecticut officers, with uh, with around 200 to 300 folks, Arnold with none. There was a tussle for command, and neither commander would give way. They sensibly agreed to share the command. Then on the night of May 9th, Allen and Arnold, with a force of about 83 men, crossed Lake Champlain. At dawn on the 10th, they surprised and captured the fort without a shout. The hall included over 100 cannon and substantial military stores. Arnold went on to seize Crown Point a few miles north. Then, with his characteristic uh, energy, he commandeered the one British ship on the lake. He sailed it to St. John's and captured the outpost just beyond uh, the Canadian border. 
<clears throat> Thus, at the very beginning of the war in the Americans, of the Americans, by a combination of luck and foresight, uh, the uh, the colonies had put themselves directly astride the military route to Canada. All right, so as soon as the conflict started, they went over and they uh, they sat themselves down right in the middle of that road uh, in order to uh, to be ready for the uh, for any possible invasion from Canada. Because the because England kept a large number of troops in uh, uh, in Canada. All right, now I'm going to uh, I'm going to read another letter now to you guys from uh, the Spirit of '76. And if you have the book, this is going to be from uh, uh, the chapter called "The War Begins," and it's going to be uh, page 102. And uh, this is from. Uh, I believe from the diary of Colonel Ethan Allen, and this was first published in uh, March of 1779. In the name of Jehovah and the Continental Congress, ever since I arrived to a state of manhood and acquainted myself with the general history of mankind, I have felt a sincere passion for liberty, the history of nations doomed to perpetual slavery, in consequence of yielding up to tyrants their natural-born liberties, I read with a sort of philosophical horror. So that the first systematical and bloody attempt at Lexington to enslave America thoroughly electrified my mind and fully determined me to take part with my country. And while I was wishing for an opportunity to signalize myself on its behalf, Directions were privately sent to me from the then colony, now a state, of Connecticut to raise the Green Mountain Boys and, if possible, with them to surprise and take the fortress Ticonderoga. This enterprise I cheerfully undertook, and after first guarding all the several passes that led thither to cut off all intelligence between the garrison and the country, made a forced march from Bennington and arrived at the lake opposite to Ticonderoga on the evening of the 9th of May, 1775. <clears throat> you hear what he said? He made a forced march from the Bennington Appleseed location and arrived at the lake opposite to Ticonderoga on the evening of the 9th of May, 1775, with 230 valiant Green Mountain Boys. And it was with the utmost difficulty that I procured boats to cross the lake. However, I landed 83 men near the garrison, sent the boats back for the rear guard commanded by Colonel Seth Warner. But the day began to dawn, and I found myself under a necessity to attack the fort before the rear could cross the lake. As it was viewed hazardous, I harangued the officers and soldiers in the manner following. Friends and fellow soldiers, you have, for a number of years past, been a scourge and terror to arbitrary power. Your valor has been famed abroad and acknowledged as appears by the advice and orders to me from the General Assembly of Connecticut to surprise and take the garrison now before us. I now propose to advance before you in person and conduct you through the wicket gate. 
or he must this morning either quit our pretensions to valor or possess ourselves of this fortress in a few minutes and inasmuch as it is a desperate attempt which none but the bravest of men dare undertake, I do not urge it on any contrary to his will. You that will undertake voluntarily, poise your firelocks. The men being at this time drawn up in three ranks, each poised his firelock. I order them to face to the right, and at the head of the center file, march them immediately to the wicket gate aforesaid, where I found a sentry posted, who instantly snapped his fusees at me. I ran immediately toward him, and he retreated through the covered way into the parade within the garrison, gave a halloo, and ran under a bomb-proof. My party, who followed me into the fort, formed on the parade in such a manner as to face the two barracks which faced each other. The garrison being asleep, except for the sentries, we gave three huzzas, which greatly surprised them. One of the sentries made a pass at one of my officers with a charged bayonet and slightly wounded him. My first thought was to kill him with my sword, but in an instant altered the design and the fury of the blow to a slight cut on the side of his head, upon which he dropped his gun and asked for quarter, which I readily granted him, and demanded of him the place where the commanding officer kept he showed me a pair of stairs in the front of the barracks on the west part of the garrison, which led up to a second story in the barracks, to which I immediately repaired, and ordered the commander, Captain De La Place, to come forth instantly, or I would sacrifice the whole garrison. At which the commander came immediately to the door with his breeches in his hand. When I ordered him to deliver to me the fort instantly, he asked me by what authority Authority, I demanded this, and I answered, In the name of the great Jehovah and the Continental Congress. <clears throat> the authority of the Congress, being very little known at the time, he began to speak again, but I interrupted him, and with my drawn sword over his head, again demanded an immediate surrender of the garrison, to which he then complied, and ordered his men to be forthwith paraded without arms as he had given up the garrison. In the meantime, some of my officers had given orders, and in consequence thereof, sundry of the barrack doors were beat down, and about one-third of the garrison in prison, which consisted of the said commander, a lieutenant Feltham, a conductor of artillery, a gunner, two sergeants, and 44 rank and file, about 100 pieces of cannon, one thirteen-inch mortar, and a number of swivels. This surprise was carried into execution in the gray of the morning of the 10th day of May, 1775. The sun seemed to rise that morning with a superior luster, and Ticonderoga and its dependencies smiled on its conquerors, who tossed about the floating bowl and wished success to Congress and the liberty and freedom of America. Colonel Warner, with the rear guard, crossed the lake and joined me early in the morning, whom I sent off, without the loss of time, with about 100 men, to take possession of Crown Point, 
which was garrisoned with a sergeant and 12 men, which he took possession of the same day as also upwards of 100 pieces of cannon. But one thing now remained to be done to make ourselves complete masters of Lake Champlain. That was to possess ourselves of a sloop of war, which was then laying at St. John's, to, to effect which it was agreed in a council of war to arm and man out a certain schooner, which lay at South Bay, and that captain, now general, Arnold, should command her, and that I should command the bateau. The necessary preparations being made, we set sail from Ticonderoga in quest of the sloop, which was much larger and carried more guns and heavier metal than the schooner. General Arnold, with the schooner sailing faster than the bateau, arrived at St. John's and by surprise possessed himself of the sloop before I could arrive with the bateau. He also made prisoners of a sergeant and twelve men who were garrisoned at that place. It is worthy of remark that as soon as General Arnold had secured the prisoners on board and had made preparation for sailing, the wind, which but a few hours before was fresh in the south and well served to carry us to St. John's, now shifted and came fresh from the north. And in about one hour's time, General Arnold sailed with a prize and schooner for Ticonderoga. When I met him with my party, within a few miles of St. John's, he saluted me with a discharge of cannon, which I returned with a volley of small arms. This being repeated three times, I went on board the sloop with my party, where several loyal Congress helps were drank. We were now masters of Lake Champlain and the garrisons depending thereon. All right. <clears throat> that is uh, Allen's report of the Battle of Ticonderoga. Now, this is very, very important. Ticonderoga and Crown Point and Lake Champlain set directly on the invasion route from Canada. So now we held, we had, the uh, American Revolution War, War had begun, and we also now held all the keys to the forts that set astride what would have to be the invasion route for forces to come from Canada. <clears throat> also, if you'll remember, the way that the siege of Boston was finally broken was because the uh, cannon, which were now in the possession of the uh, uh, colonials, was uh, they had gone out and gathered them and brought them to uh, uh, Dorchester Heights and mounted them there. And because of the cannon, they now had uh, fire superiority over Boston, and that caused uh, General Gage and his troops to have to quit Boston altogether. So this was a very important uh, piece of work. The capture of Ticonderoga, uh, Crown Point, and the military vessels on Lake Champlain, which now prevented, uh, or at least there was a possibility to defend the invasion route from Canada, and the cannon from Ticonderoga, which now uh, uh, Colonel Knox 
uh, I believe at the time it was still captain, would go to Ticonderoga, drag them back to Dorchester Heights, mount them at Dorchester Heights. They had a commanding view of Boston, which would then force Gage and his men to quit the city of Boston. All right, this is that's a that is a pretty important uh, battle there. And these are, once again, these are the ones that uh, that are occurring immediately after the uh, events on April 19th. All right, now as I said earlier, I'm going to read you the uh, the speech that Patrick Henry gave to the folks in. Virginia. That was on March 23rd. This was before the events of uh, of April 19th, and and there's a, a bit of uh, questioning about this because uh, the the speech. Uh, let's see. That speech was. Recorded, uh, it was recorded later uh, by one of the guys who was there, and uh, and I guess there is some question about uh, whether it might have been embellished uh, or uh, anyway. Uh, the uh, the accounts. Uh, in the speech are actually are actually quite prophetic all right and uh even if it wasn't uh even if it wasn't the exact things he said then it sure makes for some great uh revolutionary war history all right uh this once again this is uh from the spirit of 76 this is the uh, from the chapter on the war begins, page 107. Gentlemen may cry, cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. Patrick Henry's speech in the Virginia Convention, March 23, 1775, as reported by William Wirt. Mr. President, it is, is, is natural to man to indulge in illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and listen to the song of that siren till she transforms us into beasts. Is this the part of wise men engaged in a great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be of that number of those who, having eyes, see not, having ears, hear not, the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation? For my part, Whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I'm willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last ten years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased to solace themselves in the house? Is it that insidious smile with which our petition has been lately received? Trust it not, sir. It will prove a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comports with those warlike preparations 
which cover our waters and darken our land, are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that force must be called in to win back love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, and the last arguments to which kings resort. I ask, gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array if its purpose be not to force us to submission? Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemies in this quarter of the world to call for all this accumulation of navies and armies? No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and river upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging, and what have we to oppose them? Shall we try arguments? Sir, we have been trying that for the last ten years. Have we anything new to offer upon the subject? Nothing. Have we held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has been all in vain? Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not been already exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves longer. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming. We have petitioned, we have remonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne and implored its interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and the parliament. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded, and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne in vain. After these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation? There is no longer any room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged, in which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon, until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat it, sir. We must fight. An appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left us. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that swims from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. This is from Wirt, who recorded the words and and put them 
put them to paper. And as I said, the speech is absolutely fantastic, and I implore you to uh, to go and take a look at it and read it yourself and see what you think about it. Uh, we got about 10 seconds left before we lose you, so let me tell you guys, thank you very much. We'll do the speech again, and we'll see you again uh, next Thursday. Uh, may God guide our hands in this endeavor for our cause is just. Good night, everybody. Take care, and we'll see you this next uh, Thursday.